0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening.
1: David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, what? <laughs> uh, you know, because I've been complaining yes. uh, to, to you and our guest for the last half hour before we hit record. Uh, but let's say for the listener's sake, I'm doing great. Absolutely. And you know what? A special
0: thank you to our good friend, Natalie Schaefer Yeah uh, For filling in for me And doing in my opinion A wonderful job Oh did uh, you actually listen? I did oh, And it was delightful. Oh
1: that's fine I, uh, Natalie asked Do you think Tyler Will listen to this And I said no Cause That was no Like not to impugn you I don't listen to episodes I'm not on generally No you, it's, you know what
0: it's, It was more I was curious about the dynamic, mm-hmm. um, because I certainly know that like when Jen has been on like our Patreon, she gets a little nervous. And so I wasn't sure if, you know, like not that Natalie would do poorly, but I was just, I was, I was interested to see like the kind of dynamic you guys have. Cause I haven't, uh, listened to, uh, the, the one, the one where I met your mother. That's right. that what it's called Okay. Yeah. Um, Uh, which is your uh, How I Met Your Mother and Friends podcast I haven't listened to that yet so I was interested in the dynamic and I think you guys did great I think frankly you don't need me
1: anymore (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah, the thing is you're going to have to like make me watch some movies um, from your childhood that I've never seen Um. (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right I'll see what I can do that's that's what will have to happen yeah thank you to to Natalie for being on the show and for marrying me Um, (laughs) in that order (laughs) yeah two most important things that she's done for me um no things are going great um I'm very excited about this episode. I look forward to this episode uh, every year. I'm looking forward to it, especially this year for a number of weird reasons. Yes. One of them being how much Tyler's not looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I had not, I uh, if I had not skipped
0: last week, I'd be like, "This is a." St- Super skippable episode for me. Um.
1: Uh, no, but I wouldn't want that this, I feel like uh, uh, like annual type episodes, unless they're like obviously like a rep of a, of a festival you didn 't go to sure. if that makes sense, but like annual type episodes, I feel like you should be on no matter what. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see what the listeners have to say about that. <laughs> uh, but first, before we get into the episode, uh, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today, I actually did use mine for a little bit. I said before that I didn't, but I did actually listen to some music a little bit today. I listened to the new album by a Hungarian avant-garde metal band called catafalque. Their new album is called Vadak, which I guess means like uh, wildlings or something. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's avant-garde metal. It's um, got a lot of at- atmospheric stuff and other weird instrumentation. And it's uh, it's quite beautiful. And uh, I listened to it while I walked my dog today and then had to uh, turn it down because someone drove up and pulled over on the window and said, hey, there's a coyote in the neighborhood, <laughs> oh. which has happened a number of times in the past few weeks. Um, uh, actually, Darla, my dog Darla, and I saw a coyote a couple weeks ago. That would explain um, the giant Acme safe hanging yeah. uh, above uh, your doorway. Yeah. Um, so that's what happened on my walk today. Listen to Thy Catafalque, and I kept my head on a swivel for them kites. Sure, uh, sound good at my You'll rugs that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code Pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please, I implore you, go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code Pretension.
2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot
1: com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Okay why don't you introduce our guest
0: oh my gosh i i think our guest needs no introduction but i'll give him one anyway he is uh the the th- well, i was gonna say the third chair then i realized that's literally something taken from never not funny about pat francis but it's right. pretty true in in this instance yeah uh he is the editor at large he i feel like he completes me not merely as a podcaster but just oh. like as a person uh especially during the pandemic when he and his wife would bring uh, Jen and I delicious treats uh you know what and it's like look i love my kids and all that but i think maybe the best thing that came out of the pandemic were those treats uh but anyway it's scott and i scott how you doing so it's funny you mentioned
2: mention that because uh last night julie was like what time is the podcast at i was like oh seven so i'll probably just go from work she's like oh you're going there and i'm like yeah we're doing in person again you know we're all vaccinated it's safe and all yeah um and she was like Oh my gosh, did I make cookies? <laughs> I was like, oh. it doesn't have to be every time we go anywhere for the rest of our lives. Uh, but you did
0: think of that. Uh, I don't you know, know what? Uh I'm just going to, if she's listening to this, yes, make cookies next time. Okay. Be delightful. You are guilting her severely. So I'm not saying you're a bad person. If you don't, I'm implying it, but I'm not (laughs) saying it. Uh, you know, I would certainly appreciate it. Okay. I will make note of that.
1: I don't know if, uh, during the pandemic, either of you watched the, uh, Netflix show. Never have I ever produced by Mindy Kaling. No, no, Um, I didn't even know it existed. Uh, it's pretty, it's good. Um, but uh, the main character's mom believes that you should never go over to anyone's house without bringing something and for that purpose she has a cabinet full of boxes of peanut brittle just anytime you're going to someone's house just like grab some peanut brittle on the way out and I honestly am thinking about it like instituting that policy just having a bunch of peanut brittle around and anytime I'm going over to someone's house um, grabbing a box well I did see you come in with a large bag of candy this time oh that's a yeah that's a little spoiler for the patron. oh I'm sorry uh, Ruined everything. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be talking. No, about some that's candy that's an advertisement
2: for the listeners. They should be patron, patrons. Yeah,
1: patrons. I agree. Patrons. Patreon. slash Battleship Retention. Find out what Tyler and I think of candy <laughs> this month on the Patreon. <laughs> By and large, pro. <laughs> I think um, uh, we'll find out. I actually, I don't, I don't know how many. I'm a, how I don't know. Was the last time I've eaten like a fruity candy? Like, uh, yes, I agree with you. Sure, like you got yes. like christmas time you eat chocolates and and every once in a while you just like have a candy bar if you need you know not going anywhere for a while that sort of thing um (laughs) but uh yeah we'll we'll be talking about some fruity and sour candies and that'll be like a different uh yeah those are thing for me two things that i i I don't dislike them but i
0: i would never seek them out uh i will and so yeah this will be the first time in who knows how long that i will have had them
1: well look you got a little preview of the patreon (laughs) listeners no, um, uh, what we're actually doing here today, not eating candy. Um, yeah, I know <laughs> this is a, a super weird year. Cause even though the Oscars were just like, I don't know, six weeks ago <laughs> or something, I can't remember exactly. Um, um wait, when were the Oscars? It was like two months, two months, yeah, I think two it was months. late April. Ish, um, uh, it's already time for us to talk about the best of the year so far, the best movies, or our favorite movies, at least that we have seen uh, so far in in twenty twenty one. I've only just. Uh, I mean, uh, we you, you talked Scott about how we're like getting back to like being in person, people are vaccinated you know, and stuff like that. Um, and I've uh, like I feel like only when that started to happen, like my vaccinated, like all fully vaccinated date was like in mid May. Yeah, same. And then started going like. um Uh, actually like drank in a bar like a week and a half ago which Mm. was like a a big thing like ever so as things have started to get a little bit back to normal is when it's actually dawned on me that it's 2021 Mm -hmm. like oh sure the first half of 2021 it felt like it was still 2020 like i would see the year 2019 and be like oh last year 2019 but it was like two years ago Well, i think the oscars uh contributed to that too Sure. Because like yeah.
2: even with this year's movies, like I kind of started to watch them at the beginning of the year, but for the most part, I was like, we're not really
1: done with last year yet. I'll I'll get to this year later. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I I I have kind of done the same thing. I'm definitely for my list today. I'm definitely benefiting from having done the Sundance thing. Three of my five movies are Sundance movies that have now that have sent before, actually been officially released yeah. before the end of June. That was my only rule. Um, So we're going to, but because it's only halfway, we're not doing, and we do this every year, we're not doing like the, not doing the full top 10 at the end of the year treatment. We're not doing like underrated and stuff like that, especially since, I don't know if this is a little guessing game. My current underrated movie of the year, I'm actually secretly hoping hangs on to be my underrated movie of the year at All the right. end of, of of 2021 because uh, I can't wait to talk about um you could resolve, how underrated you could resolve is. that right now if you want <laughs> just say I've made my decision.
0: It doesn't no, matter I, what else comes along. I end up along. a movie that everyone yeah.
1: hates. That's in, true. In, in October, that I that I love. But um, so we're just going to count down our top five. I feel like I uh, this is going to sound like I'm being I'm doing being dickish, but I feel like Tyler should start <laughs> <laughs> because we have to address that you are a new father still, yeah. and um, you uh, have seen far fewer movies than Scott or Ryan yeah uh,
0: that is definitely true. I wanted to essentially opt out of this while still being a part of it, um, because it feels like it's just'll you'll, you'll find out when I start saying my favorite is like a tall uh, order here. Uh, movies I've seen in 2021. Uh, like the the top two are thi- are I genuinely think they're pretty good. Okay. Beyond that, it, it drops <laughs> off. And so, uh, and it's funny because uh, beforehand, I was like, well, I, I feel like I'll just let you guys talk. And and David said, like, no, 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 like, this is like your your character. It's like, it's not a fucking character. <laughs> I don't have time this. This is movies. my life,
1: it's, it's David. My whole life.
0: Um, but yeah, so. So uh, I think we
1: should go. Tyler David Scott. That yes. should be the you know, the rotation. Because Scott's the guest. He gets pride of place.
0: Okay, so uh, you'll see what I'm talking about immediately when you when you hear that my fifth favorite movie <laughs> of twenty twenty one is Zack Snyder's Justice League, a movie I do not like <laughs> and occasionally hate. Um yeah it's I don't know what to say here I don't like it it's it has its moments it certainly is an improvement from the theatrical cut but frankly when you have basically two more hours to introduce new characters and and really develop certain action scenes it's going to be better um So that's the best thing I can say about it is that it's better than the theatrical and I'm glad that it exists simply because I'm always in favor of a director getting to do what they want to do. Then, of course, there's also the question, would he have gotten to do a four-hour cut if not for uh, pandemic and tragedy and all that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. Um, So it's, it's a film that exists solely as a function of a lot of complications which i find really interesting Uh, but for the most part there's really one sequence that i genuinely i was gonna say love i have to think about that (laughs) really like uh and that is when um the amazons are trying to keep one of the mother boxes away from yeah it's bullshit isn't it I feel dumb saying it when the Amazons are trying to keep the Mother Box away from Steppenwolf. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like <laughs> this sounds like the rantings of a
1: madman. <laughs> or, no, it's it's so corny sounding that it sounds like a super out of it. It Sounds like Woody Allen writing a nerdy character. But that sequence
0: is. Uh, did you see Zack Snyder's? Justice? I did. I like that sequence a lot because even though you know. From a number of for a number of different reasons, you know that he's going to that the villain's going to win in this sure. situation, but they never give up because, like, just be, because even though they probably know too, they know that there is a certain uh, futility to it. It's like, yeah, but that's not how this works. They just need to keep it away right. from him as long as they can, and that desperation really, I think that that scene benefits from drawing it out because it shows that they are just not going to give up. Yeah, I was going to say that's one of the sequences that I. I'd forgotten most of the theatrical cut. And
2: then in retrospect, I was like, oh, right these shots like vague disconnected moments like seem familiar yeah. this must have been in the theatrical cut and yeah. I was like why is this working so much better and it is because there's so much more time to really draw out like the stakes of it and how many avenues they try to take to save it and it's not just like a throwaway th- thing of a box bouncing around
0: yeah and so there are moments like that that I that are a little bit more developed which I appreciate but by and large who gives a shit <laughs> it is not a good
1: movie moving on and that's my fifth favorite <laughs> okay Um, Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, I want to hear Scott's uh, defense of,
0: of Justice League. Oh, sorry. Do you really like Justice League? Well, let's go slightly out of order, because it's interesting you say that. Oh, well, okay. Is that really coming out? Yeah, it's really coming All out. Right, oh, well, fun! Let's, let's put a, let's <laughs>
1: this put is very exciting. Let's put a pin in it, um, then. Uh, my number five, I almost thought about disqualifying it because the director's a friend of the podcast, but I've praised this movie before, and he's a friend of the podcast for good reason. His stuff is very up my alley, and it's Rodney Asher's A Glitch in the Matrix. I just caught up with this a couple of days ago. Really liked it. Yeah, uh, it's... I. I, I try to stay, because I feel like we do it too often sometimes in the show, I try to wait, I start to stay away from, like, saying a movie is good because of what it's not, but I do want to address, like, if you just heard, oh, it's the simulation theory movie, I feel like I could, like, write that in my head, like, it's going to have, like, Elon Musk as an interview, which this movie does, <laughs> but it's, like... Sort uh, of. Uh, yeah, sort of. It, it's, it like, shows, clips uh, of an interview. Uh, yeah, him. he wasn't interviewed by Rodney, but, uh, yeah, um... Like, there's an idea of what that movie is, and Ronnie Asher is um, so much more interested in just, like, exploring or or just, like, listing out, like, here's what simulation theory is, and here's the history of it. He's really, uh, as the same as he did with Room Room 237 and people sort of obsessive, like, uh, um, readings and and, uh, uh, subtextual readings or imagined projections of what's going on in The Shining, he really wants to see how people, why people use something like simulation theory, whether it's real or not, why people become obsessed with it, either like to help them contend with the world or in some cases, in some of the darker cases, and this movie does get very dark to keep from contending with, with the world. I I think there's a, um, the, as, as, as bizarre, um, as his interests are and as how, and, and as sort of, um, I don't know, uh, flashy as one of his techniques are. I don't mm. know if you know mm-hmm. Tyler that uh, most of the people interviewed are like, there's filters on them. So they're like you're seeing uh, it's a person, but it's not a person. It's like an alien or whatever. Oh, okay. But it's like, that's uh, fun. Uh, you know, you're, um, uh, that, that stuff is, is, is fun, but there's such a, a deep, Sympathy and humanism to, to to Rodney Asher, and not just in a. Pollyanna-ish We can all be on here together. It's like the, there, there's a there's a recognition of our deepest fears and our abilities to um, hurt one another because of those those fears and psychoses. And um, I, I found the movie just like like uh, like Rodney Ash's other stuff um, incredibly engaging, often very funny. This is the mm-hmm. guy who like you know we know through the comedy world, uh, but often terrifying and sad, but ultimately beautiful. There's,
0: you know, this is something we've said before uh, with some of the filmmakers that we know, uh, is that like we're not fans of their work because they've been on the show. Usually they've been on the show because we're fans of their right. work. And with Rodney, I haven't seen this yet, um, but it sounded so wonderful. It's the kind of thing that, like, if someone said, oh, it's the, it's the uh, computer, what is it? Simulation Simulation theory. Simulation yeah. theory. Uh, I'd be like, yeah, all right. It's like, oh, Rodney Asher made it. It's like, oh! <laughs> I'm immediately more interested because the thing that I will, that I absolutely know it will be is genuinely, unironically curious. Uh, and that's a word that you and I use. A lot, uh, specifically when a movie is not curious and it's, it's simply judging its characters. It's
1: specifically, I think, uh, often at least, to differentiate between the types of documentaries you and I tend to like mm-hmm. and the types of documentaries we tend not to like, which are yeah. the incurious, just you know, explainer type of things. Yeah, or yeah.
2: I mean, I think, but I think he does have a point of view on it all. He oh, just sure. expresses it in a subtler way, and he gives people, I guess, more time to like express themselves and say how they're feeling. And I think he gives them more of his time too, because there's all these like animation things that he does to kind of illustrate what they're saying and how they feel about things. And it really gets you into their mindset very effectively. Um, I think the most interesting thing I found about, because I've read enough about simulation theory that I like knew most of like the facts of what they're going over and knew most of what, like the mindsets that draw people to it. But what I really liked is the way he tied it into religion. There's all these people that he interviews who came from like these super strict Uh, Christian backgrounds who are just like well that's all bullshit but this other god (laughs) who is essentially (laughs) me uh, this is clearly
1: the answer Um, and so that was a really interesting connection that you found between a few people Um, yeah you mentioned the animation the other thing I wanted to mention that I love that he does because it's very Rodney Asher because it's like kind of funny and relatable but like weirdly creepy is that he uses like google map like satellite images and then zooms way in So sort of like hey, we talking about a neighborhood and you're seeing you're seeing like a neighborhood but in very sort of amorphous like blob like fuzzy blocks and it it, it feels like uh uh it feels like some sort of alternate dimension some sort of netherworld sure, version yeah. of our reality that you can't quite like see or grasp or get or get a hold of it's, it's just like it seems like on the surface that seems like oh that's a fun idea we use google maps and he actually uses it to add to the texture um and the psychological texture of the movie i gotta see it i'm,
0: I'm it's so... on hulu okay oh very that's convenient good. good good uh all right now it sounds like you are a big fan <laughs> of zack snyder's justice league yeah well so and I, I might have been a little bit too hard on it but it is a film that i found wait was it
1: even your number five or is it coming later
2: good guy let me get ahead okay of yeah. um uh, no be as hard as, on, on it as you want um yeah, so I was going between two movies for my number five, and I ultimately went with Zack Snyder's Justice League because I actually remembered more about it than the other one, which I want to revisit um, to actually remember what I thought about it and how I felt about it. Um, yes, so I went with Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I do think is a pretty exemplary, uh, exceptional movie in a lot of regards, even if those regards are like... like it's, I'm sure it's not going to be in my top 10 at the end of the year, but it's enough of an interesting movie that I wanted to take a few minutes to spotlight it Um, insofar as at least Zack Snyder has a perspective on all this which like I watch most of the new superhero movies that come out and most of them are completely devoid of any perspective and um, I really hated Zack Snyder's Man of Steel but and then kind of liked Batman vs. Superman I think he's it became clear with this that he was developing a through line through it all of like Uh, wariness about power in general um, which kind of speaks I think to the conservative side that people kind of bash him for but this I think is a really active and interesting way to engage with the material in a conservative viewpoint Um, because in Man of Steel like the whole thing is like this horror show of this guy having too much power which is then kind of reflected in Batman v Superman where like then Batman is kind of our conduit to like take down this guy with too much power but then in Justice League he finds a way to kind of resolve it all and if the people in power can give up a little bit of themselves, if the people on the lower rungs of that power can find a way to get, draw that power together. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how superhero movies have flourished over the past 20 years, kind of post-9-11 as we as a country have had to reflect on the capacity of our own power and uh, the extent to which we should limit it. Because, you know, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 there was all this talk about well we should just nuke the middle east and that'll just solve it and it's like yes we can do that but should we do that and so much of i think the resonance of superhero movies has been about that kind of like great power comes great responsibility and i think Zack snyder stupid as he is in many regards is the only one who's really reckoning with that in more than a superficial way um i think the way he photographs the character's Uh, Speaks to how unnatural their abilities are. I think there's a lot of shots in the movie that really emphasize how strange it all is. It doesn't kind of take for granted that there's people flying around shooting lasers out of their eyes. It seems like genuinely unnatural and against
0: nature. Doesn't it make you? I agree with you on that. Doesn't it make you want to watch the Josh Trank uh, director's cut (laughs) of Fantastic Four? The first half of it, I never saw. I never actually saw them. It's so fascinating. Yeah because it's like full-on body horror. It's like, yeah, this is a fucking rock monster right. who was a person, by the way, <laughs> and this guy can just stretch, and this woman's invisible now, and this guy's on fire. Yeah. And Josh Trank is just like, this is horrifying, and it doesn't feel like a superhero movie, and then you can see the moment sure. <laughs> that the studio got involved and said, hey, what are you What are you doing? We turned around for one moment, and you start making a non-superhero movie. And I, I do like anytime somebody is willing to at least look at it from a slightly different angle, which is what I think Zack Snyder is doing. I don't think he's doing particularly effectively, at least not for me, but I do appreciate that he at least, like you said, has a perspective or at least just isn't blindly accepting that this is all fine. Right.
2: Yeah. And you see that a lot with the casting decisions too. Like a lot of the people who play the roles are not kind of the people you would naturally go to on a casting list. Mm. Um, You know, Ezra Miller isn't your natural Barry Allen. Um, I know he had to fight for Jason Momoa. Um, who else was I just thinking
0: of? Well, well and Ray Fisher was like an unknown. For yeah, the Ray Fisher part.
2: was an unknown. I feel like, like there's only so many members on the team. For some reason, oh, oh, I was thinking of Lois Lane. Like Amy Adams is not like the conventionally um, attractive and demure Lois Lane that the films have been trending towards. Um, he and uh, Jesse Eisenberg is Lex, Lex Luther for that matter. Yeah. Um, he's thinking about them from a different perspective. I do think that perspective is sometimes dumb and reductive, and he's not like necessarily smart enough to grasp everything he wants to grasp but I really like that he's trying and that he's reaching and he's thinking about them to the extent that he can Um, and certainly aesthetically I think it was the most aesthetically well considered superhero movie since Ang Lee's Hulk which I'm a huge fan of Um, damn right and yeah I just think there's enough interesting stuff going on in the movie and I mean I've only seen a hand. Full movies relatively this year. I've seen 30 or 35, which is fewer than usual. So the pool is smaller than it usually is for me. But at the same time, I was really involved in the movie and really thrilled with
0: it. All right, next up for me, another film I don't care for, but I'm in the minority on this one. Um, and that is uh, In the Heights. Uh, I also was kind of mixed on it. There's some nice moments, and I appreciate the choreography, and I think the cast is all doing as good a job as they can. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, the thing I keep coming back to is the thing that I had written on Letterboxd, which is like energy is not the same as urgency. And I just don't like, but when you get to like the last 10 minutes and it's like, you know what, I'm gonna stay. It's like, wait, oh, is that what we were supposed to be invo- <laughs> invested in? Oh shit. I'm sorry. I guess this is on me, uh, but I don't think so. I think it's, I think the, the, the amount of energy and spectacle, which is not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, you really get a sense of the place, which I appreciate. Um, and a couple of those songs are really good, but I also just feel like, I also think that some of this is me and that I just don't appreciate the, that kind of musical where they always, they always seem to be starting a song and then they just move on. And I'm like, wait, was, that a song. I'm confused. And I then didn't there's get maybe that. there's a, and then there's like maybe three like full on sequences. Ninety six thousand. Yeah. I love within the pool. Yeah, I love the 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 Abuelas song. Like, but that's the thing. Those are much more conventional musical sequences, and I think it might just be an issue for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he did a good job at shaping the musical numbers. I just don't think he shaped the film very well, and that's where you get the feeling that you're constantly jumping between these. Um, the really dramatic moments don't land that well because it feels like you're just rushing out of them to get to the next one. Um, it just felt like it needed needed the, the Snyder Cut treatment. It needed a, the four-hour version of In the Heights or something because there's just like, it's too,
0: the urgency is a perfect word for it because it's too rushed. And it's, yeah, it's, how, how is it possible for it to be rushed and me, and also feel lackadaisical? Uh, it does for me. Oh, interesting. Um but uh, and then as I've as I said on the movie journal somewhat recently, like the big moment where like the mural on the wall of his store is oh, revealed. Right. I was like, was that there before? <laughs> what am I looking at? Yeah, it's one of those things you can see if playing very effectively on the stage. Exactly. You're like
2: rooted in that space for most of the running time, you would yes. imagine. But here the store is like you get some angles on it, but you don't really get like the whole yeah. image of what they're living in and i specifically saw this
0: in the theater yes yeah, i am and so i was i was excited for like a, this fun musical spectacle and it just left and i i just kept thinking it was about to be over and then i quickly quickly realized like no i want it to be over i don't I really don't care that much about what's happening, even though I care about the individual characters and I get a sense of who they are. I don't really care about their goals. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that uh, was probably not intentional. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, my number four, again, a movie I mostly (laughs) do not care for. All right.
1: Uh, My number four is a movie that I um, think, Tyler, you would really like. And Mm. Scott, if I remember from your Twitter, you were not so hot on. Uh, I'm going to say Josh Greenbaum's Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Mm. But I'm already questioning my... A tourist tendencies here because this isn't a Josh Greenbaum movie. This is a, an Annie Mumolo and, and Christian. I would week. say that's part of the problem. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's part of the problem. It has the feeling, uh, I, I think on a Patreon episode a while back, I not that I think it's as good as The Jerk, but I kind of compared it to The Jerk where it feels like people, it comes from people who are uh, laugh first uh, oriented mm-hmm. uh, and I uh, believe and this is the problem I have with a lot of comedies that I don't like so much. I believe that they believe and feel very deeply that everything in the movie is funny. And so it feels like it's a, a like I, weirdly for a movie as, as uh, outlandish as Barbara and star often is, uh, it feels like a personal statement to me. It feels like them getting to, to, to do the, the just the, the goofy shit that, that they want. And it doesn't seem, um, to beholden to um, uh, sort of uh, plot points that you think have to be in the movie or, or, or narrative beats that have to be followed at a certain uh, order it's really it's it's a it's a uh, an animal that is seeking to make you laugh and not saying that everything in the movie is hilarious but uh, it has a sort of purity of purpose um, and and uh, uh, often a just named some of the uh, gags that I think are Particularly r- ridiculous. I, I think I talked about it on the movie journal department. <laughs> uh, who's the who's the guy? The Jamie Dornan is that his name? Yes yeah, that's um, right. So first, Annie Momola like goes on a walk and has like a heart to heart with him, and they like walk through the boardwalk and pass all these things. and like hours later, Kristen Wig does the exact same thing, the exact same walk, and all of the same stuff is happening in the background, like all of the same people at the exact same time. Um, I, love, I, 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 I love that yeah that's of, the kind of thing yeah. I
0: find.: That's a very <laughs> Simpsons type uh, joke.
1: Yeah, and the movie's full of uh, fun stuff like that, and I would say um, maybe the most fun I've had watching a movie in 2020 so far I agree with everything you're saying I just don't think it was funny I and I don't really like
2: long extended sequences of two people riffing on a thing for like five minutes <laughs> which there's a lot of in this movie and that's Is where I'm saying like, there... they needed a director
1: um I guess because that that's a type of comedy that I've decried but often because maybe it's just maybe for me it just depends on who's doing it oh like, sure uh, and I I guess I like them Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, uh, doing it when it's you know t.j. Miller or whoever like he gets <laughs> uh, uh gets old very quickly and I think it,
0: it I mean obviously like in a lot of the movies that you're talking about that do that I mean it's hard to say that well these characters wouldn't do that because often the characters are simply a reflection of whoever's playing them but at yeah. the same time like it was one of it was one of the issues that I had with uh, the Ghostbusters remake is it like these characters are scientists and all that. Granted the original chari- the original Ghostbusters were scientists, but they were sort of grounded in a very specific type uh, of character. Each one of them. Whereas this was just like, they're spending a long time describing what someone looks like mm-hmm. and just that yeah. kind of riff. That's just like, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, there needs to be a little bit more discipline there.
1: All right. If I had to pick something in Barbara I think doesn't work. Okay. I would say I love, um, I love the idea that they're a part of not a book club, but a talking club that they get, together, <laughs> they get together with lady friends and talk. I love the first talking talking club scene. I love that Vanessa O'Brien's character like runs <laughs> rules talking club with an iron fist. <laughs> That's all very funny, <laughs> but I feel like I also got all the jokes out of the talking club premise the first time, and every sure. time it returns to talking club, I'm like, let's get back to Vista Lamar. That stuff's better. Okay, so I said something negative about it. Okay, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> all right, my number four
2: um, is Francois Ozon's Summer of 85, um, which I've sung the praises on several times in this podcast. Uh, yeah. I will go on to say that uh, it's a very strange mix of tones, even for Francois on standards, who famously, I think, sometimes too ambitiously tries to mix different tones together. Um, and there's an extent to which I think this kind of lies to the audience at the start. It gives the sense of a uh, more dire framing device than it ends up being. Um, You know the character starts in jail and you get the sense that he did something really wrong. Uh, It turns out he didn't do something that bad. (laughs) Um, But there's kind of an overstretch of the tone there. Uh, But besides that, um, it's just a really surprisingly effective coming of age movie. It's about, it's very much a call me by your name kind of thing. These two young boys, not young boys, young men I'd say, late teens, however you want to put it, um, meet on a summer vacation, get to know each other, fall into a bit of a sort of fling, and come to mean more to each other than they expected to um and i I guess i was so caught off guard by how effective that emotional story was maybe because of all the kind of like mystery and crime elements that were lurking in the background but by the time it gets to the real explosion of kind of grief towards the end which comes about in a very unusual way to boot um it's a scene that can almost be laughable, but it is surprisingly moving. Um, and that was the moment that it really sunk in for me. Um, so without giving too much away, that is why I loved uh, summer of 85.
1: Yeah. I, um, I also loved it. Um, I think it's a 2020 movie or whatever. Sure. Um, I, I loved, it. I also both on my To on movie journal and in my review, try not to give too much away but i also realized i'm not going to say it if you look up the name of the novel it's based on it's like a huge spoiler (laughs) just the name of the novel um so i I won't say what that is did you did you agree with me that it felt like the call me by your name comparisons were almost intentional by how similar they were in like from a distance but then once you drill in the drill down the the actual execution of them, the movie feels nothing like Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, no, I it agree. It just has these sort of signifiers to the point where I was like, is he doing this on purpose? I mean, is he knowing it goes on, probably, because the stuff is very referential, mm-hmm.
2: very, I think, purposely derivative, um, and very like, he's, he's like Brandon Palma. He knows that you know his influences, and he's fine with that. And he's just like, this is where we're all starting from. We all watch the same movies. Like, let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yes. I, I really liked it. I, I definitely like the the lead performance a lot. You talked yeah. about it, you know. It's not just Ozon; it's also this young man uh, whose name I'm forgetting. Who uh, Felix L- Leferb? Leferb? Yeah, sure. um, yeah. That's uh, the the fact that that moment works as well and is yeah. as laughable as it could is as much down to Felix Leferb as it is to Francois Ozon. Absolutely. Uh,
0: is it my number three now? Yes. yes. Okay. This is very exciting because this is a movie I kind of sort of like. Um, and what's what's fascinating is that I'm gonna wind up saying a lot of the same stuff about this movie in an admiring way that I would say disapprovingly about uh, Justice League and that is uh, Adam Wingard's Godzilla vs. Kong which is very dumb and yet just batshit crazy enough <laughs> to get my attention and make me respect what it's doing um it it falls prey to so many of these types of movies which is like it it, apparently there were human characters in it I forgot uh and it just kind of has like a cursory like okay let's give these human characters some backstory but for the most part we don't care and we all know it um you really just want to see these two characters you know Godzilla and Kong fight okay that's fine um But they made a very, very, very smart decision by having King Kong... Sorry, he's just Kong. He's not king yet. Or maybe he was and he's not anymore. The point is, he's not a king now. Um, And uh, they gave him a character. And I think that's very wise. Hey! Hey. (laughs) Um, But... You know, Godzilla, there's only so much you can do from a facial standpoint, from a body language standpoint, whereas Kong uh, is one of the reasons that he, as a movie character, has retained power because you can do a lot with him and you can emote. And I feel like there's actually some some strong moments with the Kong character. And so I appreciate that whatever depth the film has can be found within that character. And the, a certain degree of tragedy I've found kong has always historically always been a very tragic character in film um but i also like that there's this i forget the 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 term but the idea that there's at the center of the earth is like this weird uh place that these monsters live uh that where gravity may not totally uh, apply at all times and it's just insane and i can't imagine anybody who went into Godzilla versus Kong expecting this strange, surreal, ethereal hmm. uh, craziness. And, I, and at first I didn't understand it or, or I didn't appreciate what they were doing. I was just like, what are you doing here, Adam Wingard? And then I realized like, oh, something. You're doing something. (laughs) And that is a thing that I appreciate because you didn't have to. Uh, You could have just had these two characters fighting, and he certainly does, but it could have just been that. But instead, he really tries to develop this world of, you know, kaiju and stuff um, as much as he can and unabashedly. And that's something that I really appreciate. It's not a movie I really like that much for the most part, because it is ridiculous and it is quite stupid but uh, but I do appreciate that he did something and for the most part I like the thing that he did and how he did it right on huh?
1: I never saw it I think you'd like it uh, eh, could be I don't like uh, monsters okay <laughs> alright Tyler do they, likes monsters do they frighten
2: you no I just I, I, I've seen a handful of Godzilla movies I found them all quite
0: boring hmm well, this one definitely, uh, I mean, certainly pacing wise, this one is a little bit faster than, uh, than other sure. movies. But, uh, but yeah. What about Kong movies? Do you like uh, King I Kong I love movies? the original King Kong. I okay. really like Peter Jackson's King Kong. I would recommend Kong Skull Island. I liked that way more than Didn't I thought care I was for going it. to. Oh, really? Oh, okay. That's interesting. I think
2: when the monsters get to be too big, like King Kong, respectable size, can relate to the humans. Yes. When it's just like a skyscraper? Yeah. Has nothing to do with me. I, I so would agree gonna with that. you're going to kill me, yeah. fine.
0: Well, that's one of the things that I like about the 2014 Godzilla, uh, and even probably Godzilla King of the Monsters, is people are so inconsequential to these monsters. Like, they're fighting each other, and then, like, we're there, (laughs) and they don't even notice us at all. And that's something that's like, oh, it's a little humbling. Um, I guess. I'm humble enough. (laughs) I really appreciate how loud that lap was and how involuntary it was. David, you're number three.
1: Uh, uh, now I feel like a jerk. Uh, all right. Um, my number three, it would be so nice. I watched it twice. Prano uh, um, Bailey bonds *Censor*, which is a, uh, a, a, a British uh, horror film that I saw at, uh, at Sundance through, through Sundance. Um, it's uh, uh, I, I say horror film. I guess it is a horror film, but it's also about horror films. It uh, um, takes place amidst the video nasty uh, controversy in, in in the UK in the in the eighties, in which the government was censoring, um, either banning or heavily uh, cutting certain movies, usually uh, low budget horror movies. Um, and our main character. Um, Played by Neve Algar, I forget uh, what the character's name is. Mm, I'll get to that later. Uh, is uh, Enid is her name? She's uh, she's a censor. She's she works for this uh, the, the the agency, um, and uh, she basically has this trauma in her past that we learn about very early on. And then she sees one of these movies that she's supposed to approve or dis- or, or not approve, and the events of the movie very closely. Align with her memories from childhood that have uh, traumatized her, and so she sort of becomes obsessed. She thinks the actress is maybe someone from her past, or whatever. Becomes obsessed with these with these movies and gets deeper and deeper into this world to where the um, the the printability band does very cool things of like um, you know the movie's scope. But when she's watching a movie, it's one three three. Um, but then that sort of starts to like you as. Enid loses her mind a little bit. You are increasingly unable to tell if what you're watching is happening in the movie she's watching or in her. Uh, or but in the opposite will happen. We, something will be in scope, but the lighting will suddenly be like it'll be like at her workplace. But suddenly there's like purple pulsing lighting coming from that storeroom. Like uh, the 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 walls between her uh, worlds and her, her physical world and her mental one uh, are are breaking down. Um, the movie, uh, I guess. Thematically, or or whatever, is um, uh, I think it's 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 a, it's a pretty obvious like it's obvious what sort of points it's trying to illustrate, um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because the movie's I think honest about it and also uh, it basically is a movie that said says uh, does art imitate life or life imitate art and answers it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, uh, it's it's a in, to talk about it in her in horror terms it would definitely be considered a slow burn which is like the kind of horror i tend to like um and especially one that pays off it's a slow burn that definitely uh gets pretty <laughs> fucking baroque and grotesque <laughs> by the end of it of its brief it's only like 85 minutes long mm. um but uh yeah i, I just found preno bailey bonds overall just uh uh tone um of of being like very much feeling for Enid in and her, and her past but also very much kind of enjoying the gore at the same time like there's a there's a certain tongue in cheek but not getting in the way of the like the, the the honesty of the character at the same time I just found it so um transfixing like I said I, I watched it twice and, and it helps that it's only 85 minutes absolutely so
2: Scott right on uh I was realizing looking at my list that all of my uh movies from here are uh what David would consider 2020 movies (laughs) um that just means we won't repeat so that's always nice uh so my number three is uh Mona Fastfold's The World to Come um which I was very much looking forward to but for some reason just kept not getting around to and now it's available on Hulu I want to say some free streaming service which was nice um Yeah, so this is uh, co-written by Ron Hansen and Jim Shepard. I'm not familiar with Jim Shepard's work, but Ron Hansen is probably most familiar to film fans for writing the novel, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, And this movie very much has the same sort of like slightly ostentatious uh, dialogue and very old-timey way of speaking. um, A letterboxd friend complained about this saying like the quoting of the famous uh, Star Wars Behind the Scenes thing of like you can write this but you sure can't say it. I disagree with that notion but it is very much like a written dialogue that um, has to be spoken very properly but one which I think the cast uh, Catherine, Hep- Catherine Hepburn Catherine <laughs> Hepburn that'd be something. Catherine Waterston uh, Vanessa Kirby Casey Affleck and Christopher Abbott I think they acquit uh, themselves uh, very well at it. That's um, a hell of a cast. Yeah. Uh, the f- the story is uh, much more humble and focused than Assassin of Justice James. It's about these two women, uh, Waterston and Kirby, who are living in the frontier, old-timey times, as me and Julie often call it, um, and, you know, just living on their husband's farms, not really much to do, darn the socks, uh, milk the cows, keep the house running, etc. cetera. Uh, they catch each other's eye and quickly fall in love, and I was really taken with the way the film indulges in that romance and not in like a gratuitous way but like um it is very earnestly a romance film um for most of its running time it's not like you know I I like movies like Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Carol and these other recent movies that are very cold lesbian movies but this is like these these two women are like full-on in love with each other can't get enough of each other um and the film uh embraces that in a really active way that I, I found really invigorating um again not in a prurient way. There's really no sex scenes in the movie. <laughs> um, and yeah, between that and the dialogue and the photography, which is absolutely gorgeous, um, there's so much to really uh, appreciate in this film, um, just on a pure aesthetic level, never mind the way in which it adds up. And it's willing to kind of sabotage its own aesthetics. Um, at random points where it'll go a little handheld or like zoom into something at in a distance so like the person holding the camera is keeping it totally still and it'll be a little out of focus or whatever um, it doesn't feel the need to make every moment this like absolutely pristine image um, it can be beautiful in very kind of subtle and affecting ways and yeah I just uh, this was uh, competing for the top of my list really all three of these movies mm-hmm. at the, my top three were um, and this is the kind of movie that if it'd come out when I was like 21 would have been like my favorite movie ever is totally like speaks to old time Scott kind of stuff um but Scott's changed over the years so it's number 3. Did you
1: see Ammonite or did I call it Ammonite? <laughs> I did see Ammonite. Um wasn't wasn't as into it. Yeah, I was going to say doesn't it feel like well I was watching Ammonite I was like okay this is like I like these actors this is like competently made but it does feel like okay this is a this is like a a subgenre in and of itself now. And Ammonite feels like the, uh, the, the sort of like just good enough version of that.
2: Yeah. I think there have fairly been some takedowns of this in the LGBTQ community of like, why do all the big lesbian movies have to be set in the past? (laughs) Like there's good lesbian stories to be telling now. It doesn't have to be all about these repressed women gazing at each other from across the room. Um, but, uh, they keep making good ones. So what are you going to do?
1: Yeah
0: all right so my uh, second favorite movie of 2021 is uh, john krasinski's a quiet place part two um i'd say i i mostly i mostly like this movie i think it's actually very well done i think john krasinski has shown himself to be a very effective horror director although i will make the argument that there is a certain generic quality to him visually but from a tension standpoint like just in the way john krasinski looks yeah (laughs) I look at him like I get it yeah you look like everyone else he's a guy that's why he's Uh, in the office (laughs) that's true that's true actually um but uh but yeah his uh, the the first quiet place and this like I don't know. Maybe it's just the the type of horror that I like. I tend to like there to be a little bit more atmosphere, but there's still certainly a sense of dread, and there's a, a definite tension to such an extent that it, this one maybe more so than the other one for whatever reason. Uh, I just came away just being like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like this, like I was tense the whole time, and that's a good thing. It's that's absolutely what you're what he's trying to do. You, I'm invested in the characters, and I think maybe the reason that this one. Uh, is more tense is because I mean it picks up right when the last where the last one leaves off and one of the things that happens at the end of the last one is a major character dies and you realize here like okay they're certainly not going to kill off everyone, <laughs> but they might kill off sure. someone, and you don't exactly know when or who, and you really get a sense, more so than a lot of other horror movies, that, like, man, in a in a situation like this, in an apocalyptic situation like this... The the defenseless and the weak and the innocent are the first are going to be the first ones to go and it's one of the things that is established at the beginning of the first movie and and I do appreciate that there's a certain unflinching quality to who dies how they die and and that sort of thing and so I really I really appreciate that it's not it is in my opinion not an easy movie to watch I think it's it, it can be extremely uh, harrowing. Um and uh, and so like I was totally invested at every at every point, and I also just appreciate what all the actors are doing because though this is just me, like part of me is like ah, I don't want any music in this movie. It's called a quiet place. Sure. Just let the let the <laughs> let the sound design speak for itself. Uh, but that's just me. Um, but that doesn't mean that the, the actors are talking that much. And I feel like it's the kind of thing like there's, there is actually quite a bit of restraint going on more so than you would expect from a mainstream, uh, horror movie like this. And so I, I really appreciated it.
1: Okay. I haven't seen either quiet place. Okay. Uh, number two for me. Now, obviously we're, this feels weird, but we're not doing the Oscar rules. Like this mm-hmm. goes back to, my eligibility goes back to the beginning of, of 2021. Uh, yes. Um, so I am picking a movie that was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> Uh, and that's Ramin Barani's *The White Tiger*, um, which uh, I'm a have uh, been a fan of Ramin uh, Barani for uh, a, a long time, even um, uh, up through like even his. Uh, oh, I always forget the name of it though. The the Dennis Quaid Zach Efron one that no one liked. I liked that one too. At any at any price, at any cost, at all cost. I can't. Remember no idea. It. I um, have no idea what you're talking. <laughs> but about. he. Um, uh, but the the White Tiger, which is a, adapted from a novel by the same name. Uh, takes place in India. Mostly, his movies tend to be about uh, um, uh, American working class and um, working class people. Um, this is about an in, uh, Indian working class uh, young man. Um, but I've never. Uh, uh, there's a lot of humanism in his in his movies. I've never found him to be particularly funny or cheeky. The White Tiger is like a cheeky movie because it's it has the feeling of being like a Wolf of Wall Street type thing it's narrated by a main character who is our hero our protagonist but who does bad things in in the movie but unlike Wolf of Wall Street the deck is so stacked against him by the the, the the entrenched class system in in India you can't help but there's a part of you rooting for this guy to like get out of his situation and 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 uh, rise to the next like you know caste or whatever that he can't reach even though you know like no that's this is bad what he's doing is bad and uh, and and selfish but you you understand it's a it's a um, it's a delicate balancing of, of of tone to have a movie that can be this cheeky this dark and this sort of um, ideologically driven I, I guess um, socially conscious class conscious type of thing um, all, all at the same time uh, I, I don't know I don't know if it's just the Netflix of it all or whatever but it seems like it didn't connect the way that Ramin Barani's movies tend to with, with critics and I don't even mean that it was panned I mean like it just kind of came and went. It, it felt like, and then the Oscars were like, "Sure, you get a screenplay nomination." I feel like uh, most of his movies since, I mean, really for the last like fifteen years, have fallen into that. I mean, Ninety Nine Homes, I feel like, got a lot of. That's true. Right. I totally forgot uh, he did that. Yeah, yeah, that one got a lot of uh, attention, um, and I liked that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, yeah, I, I don't know if if it, if, it, if this bizarre. Uh, uncharacteristic for him tone, even though the subject matter is very characteristic for him. Just transplanted to India instead of uh, uh, America. The tone is a different move for him. And I really, really responded to it. All
2: right. Uh, my number two is uh, Emma Seligman's Sheila ba- Sheila- Shiva, ba- Shiva Baby. I cannot speak tonight. It's good that I'm on a podcast. Um, Emma Seligman's Shiva Baby um, this was a film that I saw digitally at through New Fest last year in one of those um, film festival online screening things and was instantly like this is everything I've been complaining about with modern movies and it is uh, knocking it out of the park um, everything, it's reacting against everything I look hate about modern movies rather it's engaged in the present it's very actively about um, the world in which we live and concerned with the problems of today and what how people are reacting to those and it's allowing itself to be messy within that while still being incredibly sharply written um super funny throughout really well acted and has a main character who isn't inherently sympathetic um it's about this young woman who's in college and kind of works part-time as a sugar baby which is essentially just like she goes and has sex with this guy and he throws her some cash um it's it's not explicitly prostitution exactly she won't just go to anybody she hasn't understood relationship with this one guy one client yeah Yeah. um and uh as we meet her she's just got I was gonna say she's just getting off but I meant like getting off her shift of having (laughs) sex with this guy um though both are true um and she's on her way to go to a family shiva um one of the running jokes in the movie is that no one can quite say who it's for um it's just kind of a routine family gathering that everyone has to go to um wherein she runs into not only her uh, sugar daddy himself, um, but also uh, her high school girlfriend. And so all of this is throwing... Um, not to mention the sugar daddy's wife. Sure, absolutely. And, yeah, wife and young child and all at rest. Yes. Um,
1: Played by Glees Deanna Agra. Yes. Diana Agra. Uh,
2: so all of this is throwing uh, her already chaotic life into further um, chaos and is just really well managed in that it really gets at the claustrophobic feeling of these large family gatherings where you like sort of want to be there but don't really especially when you're you know around college age you want to be kind of apart from your family and kind of defining yourself um and escaping some of the stuff that you left in high school in this case represented by her high school girlfriend with for whom she may still have some uh, lingering feelings um but it's a 77 minute movie goes by like a rocket. And, uh, by the end, I was just so excited and so invigorated to have seen it. Um, I should also mention sellers, Fred at the show, Fred Millamid, um, who has for me, I think probably the funniest single line when you're first, the far back of the seat in the car where it has like three rows as the backy back <laughs> 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 repeatedly saying, just getting the backy back.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that scene is, fantastic yeah that, that scene comes late in the movie in which you, the movie is so tense yeah and you almost feel like when they leave the Chevy you're like okay Whew. and then there's another incredibly tense scene in the car the
2: drawn out scene of <laughs> arranging people properly in the car including an incredibly old woman
1: um, who they barely know yeah Fred um, Melamed um I can't get uh, the internet to work right now, so I'm trying to remember the other cast members' names. Uh, the lead is uh, Rachel Sennett, who's
2: uh, a figure in social media circles, and um, her escrow girlfriend is Molly Gordon. You already mentioned Diana Agaron. I think that's all the names of any note. Um,
1: I, felt, I felt like her mom was somebody, but I can't get it to Oh, her. I think you're right, but not can remember. Um, but, uh, yeah, Molly Gordon, um, for those who don't know that name, uh, she played the character known as A in Smart. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She's really good. Uh, but yeah, I can't get the internet. Yeah, the Wi-Fi is a little iffy right now. Sorry about that. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, yeah, but it also has a. Uh, <laughs> there's um. I actually talked about this in the movie journal. I'm not going to repeat myself, but uh, the. Well, you're uh, uh, Julie's a baker. She makes yeah. she makes Rugula and there's yeah. a there's a conversation about the pronoun- the pronunciation of rugula that uh is both very funny and again very awkward
2: yeah there's all these great asides that nevertheless feel like they're bound up in a moment it doesn't feel like just the screenwriter going on tangents it feels like she's really building to something and every moment kind of adds up to this teetering tower of uh, anxiety um and it's only like a 77 minute movie and what she accomplishes in that time is pretty remarkable
0: all right. So my favorite movie of 2021 is a documentary called kid 90 directed by a uh, moon fry. Uh,
1: can I interrupt right here to yes. say how amazing it is that you talked about how few movies you've seen and I have seen zero of your <laughs> top five. I hadn't seen a single one of these.
0: Mm, that's true. So again, I feel like that's a poor reflection on me
1: um, somehow um, but, uh, so anyway you said your uh, favorite movie of the year was mid 90s uh, from 2018 20- <laughs> directed by Jonah Hill that's the one <laughs> uh, through some some kind of strange rules <laughs> I count it uh,
0: but yeah so on one hand uh kid 90 is the kind of thing like there there are retrospective interviews uh that are they're interesting to be sure um but that's the kind of thing you expect what you don't expect is how much footage soleil moonfry has been shooting her entire <laughs> life uh from when she was a a, a kid like you know six or seven until uh until her uh, her 30s and you go through it and on one hand it's a very interesting portrait of fame it's a very interesting portrait of a of a very unique industry which is the entertainment industry but you also i think what's more interesting than all of that is just a, a portrait of a young woman a girl becoming a, a young woman becoming an adult and yes she's doing that certainly in the spotlight in many cases uh but also just the fact of it just the fact of certain friends come into her life and then go out of her life those friends happen to be famous uh, and sometimes the reason they go out of her life is because of a drug overdose and they're gone uh, but you also see that like she uh, it's like, okay, well, Punky Brewster is over, and so I guess I could try to make more TV or movies. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go study theater here. And then while while in New York, she falls in with the skater crowd. Like, so despite it being...
1: So it is like mid-'90s.
0: It is, <laughs> you know, uh, because a lot of the skaters that she uh, was friends with were uh, acted in the movie Kids, mm-hmm. um, and so which is a very of its mm-hmm. time uh, kind of film. And so when you look at it, like a lot of the emotional, I was going to say beats, but these actually happened. Uh, they weren't written, but a lot of the emotional moments of her life are extremely relatable. Yes. They're in the spotlight. Yes. She's dealing with famous people, but, and she herself was famous, but I think along with her, she recorded like messages left on her machine by people that you know to be famous. And you see moments like, just the the humanity that comes out uh, by people that are not here anymore uh, or or from herself. It's just there's a rawness there that I really appreciate. And I like that it's it, it could have been possible for her to be like, holy shit, here's Leonardo DiCaprio. Can you believe <laughs> that? But it's not because that's just her friend and that's how she plays it. Um, and I really appreciate that. You know, f- she directed this herself and i feel like she has a tremendous perspective on her own life and manages to capture that uh very well and so it's a portrait of so many things uh some extremely relatable some not at all relatable uh and she manages to bring those together in a way that i think are are is is very compelling i I highly recommend it and it's available on hulu by the way
1: my number one movie of the year so far is also a documentary. I am in fact bookending my list with Sundance documentaries. My number one of the movie number one of the movie number, number one movie of the year so far is Theo Anthony's All Light Everywhere. Uh which is uh, a documentary that is I guess about surveillance or uh, um uh body worn cameras on 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 police drones all these other sort sort of things. And they're they're kind of like there are two I think avenues by which you can approach the movie and I think what I like about them is that they're both they're both very much there um the one avenue that I think you if you're if you're coming at it from this is a a a movie about a social issue of you know um uh, police surveillance and public surveillance and, and accountability and, and security and and, and and that sort of stuff. But I think the, the other angle is the one I think that tends to appeal to cinephiles like us is that this is a movie about looking at things through devices mm. about this et- eternal, like since the camera was invented, we've been trying to use it to recreate or capture reality. And it's like, there's, there's always another layer of glass or something between between you no matter how uh, evolved the camera becomes there's still a falseness and, and there's still a way that even without meaning to someone is operating the camera or something is operating the camera and they're imposing a story onto it, whether they mean to or, or, or not. You know, it t- one of the things it talks about is that how um, body-worn cameras and police, which is kind of like one of the, the main through lines, is we see a, t- a tour of the factory that makes body-worn cameras, and we see the Baltimore Police Department doing a body-worn camera training segment. segment. And you, you see how, like, uh, people who are... Uh, uh, advocates for police transparency and accountability—people uh, who are advocates on the on the part of the public—tend to be pro-body-worn cameras. But the movie shows how often they can actually be used to back up the police mm-hmm. ver- version of the story, exonerate uh, a policeman who maybe shouldn't have been uh, by by other people's uh, standards. It's a, a a fascinating documentary that I guess like to say I, I bookended with a glitch in the matrix has. An easy log line, this is the movie about X, <laughs> but is not um uh, content with just giving you the overview of that thing. It it has uh, its own personal uh, again curiosities to say what what Tyler said. Um and uh yeah, I found it really um uh almost uh hypnotic and I found in a way that like made all the stuff that's in it that's troubling less it is troubling but it made it go down easier because sure. the movie is kind of um uh, yeah, really, it soft, really soft pedals. It. No, I got I'm it, I, I got it, it operates <laughs> at this kind of, like, oniric distance, I sure. think, from what it's uh, uh, talking about. Anyway, that's my number one movie of the year so far. All light everywhere. Scott, take us away. My number one movie of the
2: year, so we, you know, I think as with most of the world, our cutoff for this was uh, June 30th, um, so no no sudden move for this podcast that just came out today um, I'm recording this on July 1st um, have you already watched it? no oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just very saying, like, I'm very excited if I had watched it it wouldn't uh, wouldn't count as right. uh, it should be mentioned I've seen a few movies from festivals last year that are still coming out later this year and so we'll talk about
1: those later in the year yeah me um, too like a lot of Sundance stuff um that's coming out including i mean uh, that's well you're listening to this summer of soul is already i'm not saying sure right. it would have made my list but summer of soul is great sure um but yeah wouldn't wouldn't count um but on that note there
2: was a movie that came out last night and which i saw last night uh that's jinésa bravo's uh, zola um which i was looking forward to a lot because everyone was so excited about it but i had seen uh, bravo's last film lemon and hated it so i was a little wary about
1: it all um but this is really something else. Um, You're taking me back to January 2020, cause I, I also hated Lemon, and I also saw Z- I saw Zola at Sundance yeah. and loved it.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, so it's famously based on a Twitter thread um, by Asia King uh, that I think is, at this point, probably most famous for its starting point, which is something to the effect of, you all want to hear this story about how me and the bitch fell out? It's yeah. long, but it's full of suspense or something like that. Yeah. And that's also the opening line of the movie. And it, that was, that alone was almost exciting enough because it's like, well, one, it's, it's weirdly gorgeously shot scene for what ends up being this kind of like punchline of a meme that they're quoting. Um, but it's, it's fascinating that a meme is now like as famous as, uh, Franklin, my dear, I don't give a damn or whatever. Like, it's like the line you're going to see the movie for almost. And they're, they're very aware of that. Um, but the film from there is this wild road trip, goes into stripping and prostitution and all this stuff that gets fairly dark. And I think Bravo doesn't uh, shy shy away from the darkness, but she also is very engaged by the same thing. We were engaged by this Twitter thread of this insane story that allegedly to some extent or another can't be completely proven happened to this person. Um, and she's open to the fact that it's ridiculous, that it's silly, that the people involved are absurd. Um, And she doesn't either deny the hilarity of it or deny how horrific it can be from time to time. And often those things are like within the same moment, let alone the same scene. I mean, she can shift gears faster than I've seen most movies do in several minutes, let alone an entire film. Um, She takes like a glance to do. Um, or a shift in the sound. I mean, the whole soundscape of this movie is really incredible. There's a scene that's set to the score of kids bouncing a basketball. Um, and it has all this mixed-media cinematography. You know, there's some handheld digital work. The most of it is shot on 16 millimeter. Um, the transitions between scenes. She sometimes scrolls the
1: image, like, up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, or goes, like, runs the image, like, forward and back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what I was going to say, you mentioned about, like, a meme becoming, like, a line from a movie. I think this movie is it's telling the story and it has a lot of other things on its mind, including, like, uh, cultural appropriation and all these other, like, issues, but I think what uh, the movie really is doing is trying to collapse whatever sort of boundaries we put between, okay, this is cinema and this is social media. That It's like, this is, this is what people watch, you know, people watch dub smash lip sync videos and they watch these boomerang back and forth type of things and and so there's no reason that uh, a movie, because it's a movie, should be above that. So there's the whole part of them all in the jeep just singing along to the Migos song, Hannah Montana, That's which so is
2: okay. I could not stop laughing. It was yeah. so good.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I interrupted you. No,
2: not at all. I mean, you're talking about all the stuff that I very much enjoyed about the movie. Um, and I would say that I, she also, uh, gets into and recognizes like how someone could get carried away by this, not only in practical terms and when it gets to the level of threats, but this, insane person who takes her on this ride is like a compelling exciting person who can like hype you up in your life um and for the right person at the right time like I can it's easy to see how someone falls into such an insane uh series of events um yeah I I thought it was just completely exceptional top to bottom. I'm really excited to see it again. I'm really glad they held this for theaters. They obviously could have released it last year digitally, um, but it plays with an audience so well. Um, and different people will laugh at different things. You know, the humor is occasionally very specific. There was like, well, I can't remember what, or what joke it was, but there's something that only two people in the back corner of the theater were laughing at. The rest of us <laughs> were like totally silent. But I was like, oh, I can see what they were like, liking about that. So there's all these things that different people will pick up on. And because of the way it's kind of like, engaged in this social media speak um, with the right crowd, it really is really effective. And I, I thought, like, strangely resonant by the end. It ends on such a, an unexpected note. Um, yeah, absolutely uh, loved it.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I can't, also can't wait to watch it again because it's been a long time. Um, but I'll say the the cast is uh, amazing. T- yes. t- Taylor Page, who I didn't really know very well, um, plays Zola. Is that her name, Taylor Page? Yeah. <laughs> plays Zola. Um, the great Raya plays Stephanie. Uh, that's her... The character in the Twitter thread, I don't think, actually had a name.
2: I think Well, she was named well, in the Rolling Stone article. She was Jessica. I can't oh, okay. remember if she was named in the thread or not.
1: Okay, but in the movie, they change it to, to Stephanie. Um, Coleman Domingo has become one of those actors that yes. I see a movie for. Totally. Um, and then Nicholas Braun, I didn't watch Succession. Yeah, I, I didn't know him really at watch all. Succession, no Nicholas Braun. He's hilarious. Oh, he's Tallest man in the world. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't... I, there's a lot I like about Succession, some stuff that I don't. He is just... A delight. I mean, it's he's worth watching the show for, and it's a great cast already. But he is like this wonderful breakout character,
2: and also I would say uh, for Taylor Page, um, there's a lot about the perspective of the story that would make it easy for her to be a passive character, but Bravo doesn't let her off the hook. You know, she can still be spiky and strange and unexpected, and I think Page is really engaged in that performance.
1: Well, uh, you guys, we did it. We wrapped up uh, the first half of the year. So far, uh, the first half of the year so far is a little redundant, <laughs> David maybe self-edit next time uh, in the meantime you can find us at battleshipretention.com. Uh this week you can find you can probably find reviews of a lot of the stuff we talked about um, today by, by various members of us or I guess mostly me <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a review I, I of been, Justice League yeah that's true um, no I think earlier in the pandemic Scott cared me out called me out for not <laughs> sharing the wealth with uh, screeners and stuff but uh, yeah I should, I, I'm trying to get better at that um, but yeah a lot of this stuff is reviewed by me um, you can find that at battleship including this week you can find my review of summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised uh, highly recommended so uh Find that. Uh, find, uh, email me at davidofbattlefieldpretension.com. Uh, email Tyler. At Tyler at battlefieldpretension.com. I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, do you have anything to plug right now? I do. Oh, I finally, a long last, recorded uh, another episode of
0: More Than One Lesson, uh, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, the episode, in fact, I recorded two things. Uh, one is an episode about the movie Onward, um, which I really love and I feel like was totally overlooked last year. Uh, and then, it would appear that just apropos of nothing. I just keep thinking of more things to dislike about God's Not Dead. So I did a mini sode about more things I don't like about God's Not Dead because, and the more I think about the movie, which I would say I shouldn't be doing because who cares? But it's not like. Now my problems aren't merely artistic. They're so much deeper than that. Uh, And uh, yeah, so if you want to hear me, and I actually do play a couple of scenes from it if you want to get a sense of what God's Not Dead is without actually watching it. Uh, So you can find both of those at morethanonelesson.com.
1: Uh, I, and I forgot to plug uh, the one where I met your mother, which is the podcast I did with uh, Natalie, whom you heard on the, on this podcast last week, in which we watch uh, one episode of Friends and one episode of How I Met Your Mother every week and see what what happens. Um, Scott, do you have anything you want to plug? Where can people find you, no, should you I, want them to? Just throw a rock in Hollywood. I'm around there too
2: often. Um, no, I... Uh, throw it hard. <laughs> um, what's that a line from? Barton, Barton Fink. That's right. Um... Yeah, I, I've been unfortunately too busy to really do much to plug, but I, I'm on Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow, Letterboxd. Um, yeah.
1: All right, well, on that note, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.